You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about eight setting strategies to help your team create a better offense. In the past, we've talked a lot about setting from a technical perspective, and today we're going to talk about the strategies you can implement to take your setter to the next level and put your team in a better position to score. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 88 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Another week of volleyball. We got the the men's game pretty much uh, full-on. Games are happening. It's great competition. Uh, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing. I'm back in my gym our season is now started. It is it is a fantastic time. Well, for myself to be a volleyball coach and in the in the world of men's volleyball. Um, if you are a new listener to the podcast, welcome. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And if you are a regular listener, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. You all, you all know I appreciate you tuning into all my episodes. And the hope is that I'm able to bring some sort of value to you, so that you can go back to your gym and apply it right away and see results see your team get better, and see your team build that confidence to take your team to the next level. And today, we're going to talk about setting strategies, setting strategies. Um, but before we get into that, uh, a couple a couple updates. For me, um, this week, I started, we started our volleyball season back after a short break with um, the, the case count rising up here in, in Ontario, where I am. And um Team so far is doing well. We started. We started off. Uh, we had a game today. We went three and zero. We had a game on Thursday, and we went three and zero. So we're two and zero on the season. Have got a pretty good start to this season. It's a very, it's a very short season. The season's actually over mid March. So because of COVID, we had to shrink the season in half essentially. Um, so it's going to be a very, very, very fast season, and we only play teams once until we may see them again in the playoffs. So definitely um, definitely different, um, but you know what? It's its 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 own challenge. Like long seasons are good because you get a chance to grow and really improve, and short seasons really test you quickly. Um, it, it, and you, coaching, I would say coaching becomes a lot more difficult because you don't have the time to adjust, um, maybe see another team again and, and have the upper hand. It's you're seeing a team for the first time potentially, and it's it's all marbles on the table. So it's it's a coaching challenge, but it's a lot of fun, and I enjoy it. My coaching staff and, me, and myself, we have a good time, you know, coming up with game plans and working in practice with the guys and stuff like that. But that's uh, that's what I that's what I've been up to right now. So we have another game next week. Looking forward to that. Uh, so let's get to today's episode. Today's episode, let's talk about setting strategy. So in the past. Um, we we've had uh, we've had some great people on the podcast talking about setting. Uh, particularly, we had Micah Maha, as many of you know, uh, U.S. men's national team setter, as well as currently setting pro in Poland. Um, he was on the podcast. Uh, I think he it was on uh, episode. 
nine. So write that down. Episode nine, we had Michael Maha on and he talked about setting. It was actually really, really good insight from a professional setter's point of view. And then we had a setting coach, a University of Alberta head coach, uh, Brock Daviduk, and he is a setting coach as well. That's where, he's, that's, where he, uh, spe- that's where his specialty is, and that was episode 75. So episode 75 and episode 9 are two really good episodes to uh, listen to if you're interested in learning more about the setting position. But for today's episode, um, those episodes were a lot more technical. We talked a little bit about strategy, but I want to talk specifically about strategy. So we're not going to dive into, you know, footwork, hand positioning, um, eye sequencing, you know, we're not going to talk too much about technical, but what we're going to talk about is strategy. So I want to start off by saying that with every strategies are great. But there are two things that are important that all setters have to have before we can talk about strategy. And the number one, well, let me ask you coaches before I give you the answer. What is the number one most important thing that a setter needs to focus on or a setter needs to deliver when setting a ball? Number one thing. If you said location, you are correct. Well, at least in my opinion, location is the most important thing when it comes to setting. And then the second most important thing when it comes to setting is what? In my opinion, again, other coaches might feel differently, but what do you think it is? Well, if you said decision-making, then yeah, decision-making is, in my opinion, the second most important aspect of setting. And decision-making, this is kind of where setting strategy comes in, ties in around decision-making. And we're going to go from a basic, basic ideology of the game of what the goal is. So when you're creating an offense, okay, so setters, when you're working with your setters and they're creating an offense and they're setting a ball, the main goal in any offense is to do what? What's the main goal in any offense when it comes to volleyball? Any idea? Well, if you said create the one-on-one or one-on-nothing, you are correct. So the main goal is to create a one-on-one or one-on-nothing situation for our attacker. And what that means is basically instead of having two blockers, they're only going to have one blocker. That's a that's what we call the one-on-one, uh, one attacker on one blocker. And a one-on-nothing is where you have one attacker and no blocker. And that's a dream situation if you can create the one-on-nothing. That's where like a lot of overload stuff for the backcourt come in where we can create that. So that's the main goal is to create the one-on-one or the one-on-nothing. So how do we do that? And what are some strategies that we can use to you know better that goal? Well, let's talk about the most basic setting strategy that there is slash offensive strategy. And that is establishing a position. So strategy number one is establishing a position on the court. Um, and what I mean by that is, the very, very traditional type of offense is where coaches want to establish the middle. So what, what does that mean? Establishing the middle means at the very beginning of the game, you know, in the first one or two points, when we get an in-system ball, we are going to run the middle attack. And the reason that this strategy is so popular is because we want the other team to respect the fact that we have a middle attack. Because if they do respect the fact that we have a middle attack, that means that when we're in-system, they will have to either commit or at least be in front of our middle attacker. And if that's the case, then we can set a pin hitter and they'll likely have a one-on-one. So let me just rephrase that. So a very popular strategy, and I do it myself quite a bit, is when we establish the middle attacker, 
That means that if the middle attacker is to approach from any lane, if they're running a quick attack or they're running a push ball over or they're running a 30 or 31, which is a little bit over uh, closer to the left side of the court, no matter where they, what lane they're running, the middle blocker will have to respect them. So they'll have to be in front of that middle. And if they are, then that means they may be further away from another attacker, which if you set, they have a one-on-one or one-on-nothing. Now, the reason the strategy, I call it establish a position, is because, yes, you can establish the middle, and I do agree that that's important, but you can also establish other players too. Like, let's say, for example, you want to establish, and this is where coaches get really creative, is what if they want to establish a position early where they want that middle blocker to respect that position, but it's not necessarily the best option for our team. So let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, that the weaker attacker out of my front court players is my opposite hitter. Let's just say, for example, my opposite hitter is my weaker attacker. Well, if you start the game off in system and you feed the weaker attacker, now mind you, they have to still be able to score. Okay, they have to be able to score. But if you feed the weaker attacker and they score, then you're establishing your opposite, your weaker attacker early, which means guess what? Your middle blocker will have to be aware of that. And that may mean that they may start their IDP, their initial defensive position, closer to the opposite side. And if they do, that's fantastic because guess what? Now we freed up our more prominent attackers, our middle and left side, and that can give us a good sense of one-on-ones for a lot of the match until they realize that that, that our opposite isn't our strong attacker. So another interesting way we can do it, you also can establish the dominant player as well. Honestly, if you want to establish your dominant player, then that's great too, because then wherever that person is, the middle has to be aware of that person. And then they may decide to cheat over and start their IDP, their initial defensive position, closer to that player. So this is why like, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can, fit, you can play with this, but the easiest is to establish the middle, because if you do establish the middle, then what happens is you the middle blocker is going to be in front of that middle, like the middle attacker, wherever you put them, which means you'll have a one-on-one on either side, the opposite side or the left side. And that is generally a better position you want to be in. And that's why most coaches will establish the middle first. I myself establish the middle first, unless there's a, a really good pin hitter and there's a, there's a specific reason I want to establish a pin hitter. Uh, and when I say pin hitter, I mean I just mean a left side hitter or a right side hitter. There are there are chances where I, I may do that, but you know what? Generally speaking, I establish the middle, as many coaches do, um, from what I know. So strategy number two, going against the flow of the game. So what this means is, you know how sometimes when you're in the middle of a rally, you know the ball is being you know going back and forth multiple times. Well, sometimes. Let's say that the ball is attacked on one side. So the ball is attacked to the libero. Libero is playing at a five. And the libero pops the ball up relatively close to still position five. And the setter runs over to position five. And then they set the left side. So if you notice, everything there is on one side of the court. The dig was on the one side of the court. The set was on the one side of the court. And the attack was on the one one side of the court. That's a very easy ball to track, easy ball to read from a defensive perspective. So when we say go against the flow, we want to put the ball to a, a spot where there is not much attention. 
So if, for example, that same situation where the player in, in position five, the libero, was to dig the ball up into the area relatively close to position five, the setter ran over and set back to the right side, who's coming out of position one, now we're going against the flow of the game. We're, 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 we're setting the ball where there's less attention. And when there's less attention, there's an opportunity to score. There's an opportunity for a one-on-one. So normally, even if the middle, because sometimes when all the attention is on one side of the court, the middle blockers tend to start, you know, moving a little bit over to that side because, you know, that's where the flow of the game is. That's where the attention is. And when you pop it back, that's all that puts yourselves in a good position to score. The middle blocker has a, a longer route to run now to get over, and you should generally have a one-on-one. So that's another strategy is just going against the flow. If something is, you know, passed and the setter has to run over, or you're the, the a lot of the court has been one side dominant, a lot of actions happening on one side, then to pop it back to the other side will be going against the flow and give you hopefully a one-on-one or one-on-nothing. That's strategy number two. Strategy number three, feeding the mismatch. So this is one where you have as as a as a setter, they have to be aware of, you know, what what is the mismatch? So maybe and the most common mismatch I find is when you have a smaller setter. So if you have a smaller setter front row and they're they've rotated to the front row and they're blocking now, then maybe that's your mismatch. Your your left side is bigger, jumps higher, and can pretty pretty much hit over top that blocker. Um, it, and it doesn't always have to be because the blocker is is short. It could just be you know it, there's a weak blocker, uh, someone that's not as good, and therefore you you have there's a mismatch. So feeding the mismatch. Okay, so first of all, this is kind of like a two part strategy. One making the decision to feed the mismatch. So recognizing the fact that your left side has a mismatch, their their defender is 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 um they have an advantage over their defender. So recognizing that one is important and then two putting that player in a position to score. So how do we do that? So let's say for example that our left side had the mismatch, okay? So the left side, we want the left side to get a one-on-one with their blocker. The easiest strategy to do is have your middle go behind the setter. So if the middle was to run a back quick or a 61, then that means the middle's route is going to be going behind the setter. And if the middle goes behind the setter, the middle blocker has a decision to make. They can either stay in the middle and be neutral and wait for the set and then release to the pin or wherever the set goes, or they can choose to follow the middle attacker to make sure that they stay in front. And again, this goes back to our establishing position. If you've established your middle early in the game, then chances are that middle blocker will be in front of the middle attacker, our middle attacker. So when our middle attacker goes behind the setter, that middle blocker will probably be there. And if that middle blocker is there, guess what? You just created a one-on-one for the left side, which in our case is a mismatch, and they should definitely score. So that's a strategy you can use is feeding the mismatch and feeding them in a way where it's strategic. We're running our middle behind us to then force the one-on-one. That's how you that's how you force the one-on-one. We could also do the opposite. If we're trying to feed the right side, if we're trying to feed our right side attacker, we can have the middle go away from us. So the middle can run, you know, a shoot, a gap, attack the gap, whatever you want to call it, a 30, 31. They're going to run away from the setter. So like six, six feet or further away from the setter, that's going to be their lane. 
So if the middle blocker now is still in front of that middle attacker, guess what? The right side, the opposite hitter, will have a one-on-one as well. So <clears throat> that's how you got to think about it. How do we create the one-on-one? How do we feed the mismatch? Have your middle go the opposite direction of where you're trying to feed to hopefully get that middle blocker there, and then that will create the one-on-one on whatever side you're trying to feed. All right? Strategy number four. This deals with finding the hot hand. And yes, this is actually a strategy. I see I see it too many times where you may have a particular hitter who scored like two or three points in a row. And for some strange reason, the setter decides to go away from them and go to another player who hasn't scored two or three times in a row. Not to say that you won't score, but when you have a hot hand, when you have a player who cannot be stopped in a particular run or in a particular set or even overall in the game, you hit that player. The only time you don't hit that player is if they're not hot anymore, meaning maybe they commit an error, maybe they got blocked or whatever. Whatever the situation is to change the tempo of the game in the other team's favor, then you may want to go away from that hot hand. Or, and a big or, if they're getting tired and their shots aren't as effective, meaning they're not scoring anymore. <clears throat> so if they're not scoring anymore or the other team is able to pick it up, then you will, you may want to change your set distribution and pick and you know hit on your other players. But finding the high listen, if you have a player who is consistently scoring, consistently scoring, don't stop setting them. It I I don't see why you would. It's like in basketball, if a player is hot and he's shooting the ball in every single time, the point guard is going to try to find them or the players on the team are going to try to set that player up to score <clears throat> or, to, or not, not to score rather, but to continue to get the ball so that they can score. And we want to do that for our hitters as well. We want to make sure that we, you know, we find the hot hand if there is a hot hand. Now, again, that's if a player can't be stopped or is scoring multiple points in a row. That's when we want to find the hot hand. Okay. Strategy number five. Uh, this kind of ties back into my feeding the mismatch. This is basically finding the weakest blocker. So <clears throat> this is something that coaches can work on with the setters. And it's just understanding where is the weak blocker. And when you find that weak blocker, you go after them. And when you go after them, you know, in theory, like it's, I don't want to say it's, it's almost like finding the mismatch because it technically is finding the mismatch, but you're also, it's not necessarily a mismatch because the offensive player is better. It's finding a mismatch where the weaker blocker is. So let's say for example, that you have a, one of your weaker hitters is front court, but they're up against a much weaker blocker, right? There is that by default would be a miss. I guess I guess in theory it is a mismatch, regardless of how I how I describe this. It's a mismatch. So finding the weakest blocker is strategy number five, and that can definitely help score some points on the table. Okay, so strategy number six. This is actually an interesting one, and coaches, you're gonna have to help with this one. But basically, notice which side the middle blocker is weaker in transition. So let me explain what I mean by that. We have middle blockers have to go, they have to block middle, they have to block left side, and they have to block right side. Now, generally, it's not, it's very rare to find middle blockers that are really good at blocking both sides. Sometimes, 
And sometimes it's very evident where a middle blocker may be really good at transitioning and doing the footwork to block left side, but really weak at the doing the footwork to transition to block on the right side. And interestingly enough, I actually came across this problem. We had this in our very first game uh, where we played against a middle blocker who was really good at releasing to the um, to the left side, but they were very, very weak at releasing to the right side. And whether whether they had a problem reading it, I, I got, it, it could be a number of different reasons. One could be, you know, they just have an issue reading the right side ball, so they're slower to make that read, but they read the left side ball much better. It could just be that you know, generally their footwork, their foot more comfortable using the footwork over the left side versus using the footwork over to the right side. So whatever the situation is, it's, it's all good. It, it, we just have to figure out which side is weaker. And if you can find that, you can find out which it is, then you have an advantage right there because you'll set you'll set the opposite. Whatever place that middle is weaker to, to release to, that's the place you want to set to. So we, we in our in our first match, we realized that the middle blocker had a lot of trouble getting out to the right side, and in a lot of cases, wouldn't even be able to make a step there. They would either read wrong and just not not even make a footwork approach. So we had a one on one almost every time. So we fed our right side quite a bit in that first match, and our right side, uh, I think there, he had like a point six hitting percentage or something like point six seven five, which is unreal unreal and that we, we he he got player of the game in that one so it was uh it was really nice to see but again that the coaches may need to help with that because it's really hard for a setter to see where the the middle blocker is weaker transitioning and releasing to um but if coaches can identify that or other players that will give your setter an advantage because then they can set the weak the weak side the middle blocker can release and you're good to go from there okay strategy number seven know your hitters and the type of sets they like. Yeah, that's actually a strategy. You know, <clears throat> we, we, uh, I, I mean, you want to, if you're running a basic offense, high ball offense, it's, it, that's fine. But if you have particular types of sets that you know your hitters like to hit and they're consistent at hitting those, those are things you want to make sure you're implementing. Now, this may seem really obvious, and I apologize if it is, but I want you to understand that it's something you have to figure out. So you have to spend time in your practices to see what kind of balls your hitters like to hit, what kind of balls your setter and hitter relationship, um, like what's that type of set look like? You know, do your middles like to run the 30, the inside shoot? Do your middles like the 51, the 61? Out of all those middle routes you can run, which is their favorite? Which one do they like to run? And just as in which is their favorite, what which set does the setter like to set? These are things that we got to figure out because when we do... Those are points you can you can look at and say, okay, I know that this is their best shot. I want you to run this. And that way you know if they run it correctly, there's a good chance that they're going to score. <clears throat> so really understanding what kind of sets your setter likes to set and your hitters. Know your hitters. <clears throat> what set do your hitters like and go from there? Okay, that's strategy number seven. The last strategy, strategy number eight. Sorry, I'm just drinking water. My mouth is really dry. I had a, we had a game today, and after talking for so like for throughout the day and, and yelling at a match and timeouts and stuff like that, I realized that I probably should have recorded this podcast episode before my uh, before my game. So if I if you if I'm pausing, I'm just drinking water <clears throat> because my throat is it's not really uh yeah it's it's not really going well for me right now. But that's okay. I'm almost done the episode anyway, so it's all good. So set, uh, strategy number eight is set distribution. Now, this one's an interesting one. Actually, I don't think I've ever talked about this before on the pod. So one thing that we like to look at is set distribution and hitting efficiency. So let me explain what that is. So at the end of the match, 
or rather even even in the middle of the match during the sets i'll take a look at my system now you need to be tracking stats by the way so i, I do want to preface this by saying you need to be doing stats in the game to be able to see this and if you're a head coach you're not doing this because you're doing you're looking at other things you need to have either someone designated to do stats or you need to have an assistant coach whatever the case is someone's got to be doing stats so what i look for is i look at the attempts so i look at all my hitters and see how many attempts they've had to hit how many kills they've had and how many errors they've had so an attempt is basically uh when they attempt to hit the ball whether that's a kill or an error is irrelevant it was an attempt and then after the attempt they either get a kill they don't get a kill meaning the other team dug the ball and played it out or they get an error those are the only things that get those are the only things that can happen so i look and i see well is everyone getting equal attempts or relatively not maybe not equal but you know are is everyone getting the same amount of attempts is the player that i expect to get more attempts are they getting more attempts meaning are they getting the ball set to them more more than like the way, oh, i'm sorry are they getting the ball set to them the way they should be um and then one now here's where set distribution comes really clutch if you notice that you know let's say that your left side is getting 10 balls and they've scored eight out of 10 balls. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And then let's say your right side is got, it has gotten 15 balls and they've only scored five times. That to me would be a red flag because that, that to me is telling me my set distribution is not efficient because if my best player, my best hitter at the time has scored eight out of 10 balls, why is the player who scored four getting 15 attempts? meaning getting this ball set 15 times. There's a little bit of discrepancy there. I want the player who has scored eight times out of 10 attempts to get more balls. So if I see that, it's a simple conversation with my setter saying, look, we're pushing this right side way too much and they're not scoring. So we need to look, and if you look at this player, he's really scoring. He's got an eight out of 10 balls. We need to feed him. Make sure he continues to get more attempts because he's converting on those attempts. At the end of the day, we want it, we want guys that are converting. So that's a really interesting stat you could look at to help with your set distribution to see, you know, what what's going on. Uh, and the other thing too, I do want to I do want to throw in, there's a little, little caveat here. One, the setter is obviously pushing too many balls to the player that they shouldn't be at that time because they're not being efficient. They're not an efficient score. And two, the the other thing too is sometimes, and and this you have to you have to you have to again, look at the game and see this, maybe the reason the player is not scoring is because the setting is not great to that particular side of the court. So that's another thing too you got to look at. So either way, either way, whether the setting is great or not, whether the hitter is great or not, the fact is we want to put the ball into the player who's scoring. And your set distribution, when you, do your, when you look at your stats, that will help you determine whether or not your setter is making the right decisions in terms of who they're hitting all right so let's recap here okay <clears throat> talked about a lot of things so number one thing what's the number one thing for setters location location is the number one thing that we care about the most and the second thing second thing we care about the most is decision making okay and strategy revolves around decision making so the main goal as we talked about is to create the one-on-one or one-on-nothing uh also in and around that, we have eight strategies to help. 
The first strategy was establishing a position, and we talked about establishing the middle as a very as a very common one that most coaches go with. Number two is going against the flow. So if if a lot if there's a lot of attention on one side of the court to set back to another side of the court where less attention is to create the one-on-one. Strategy number three, we talked about feeding the mismatch. All right. So again, where if you have an offensive player who clearly has an advantage over a blocker, feeding them and feeding them efficiently, meaning run the middle in the opposite direction. So if our left side is the position we want to feed, running the middle behind the setter to create the one-on-one on the left side for our attacker. Strategy number four, feed the high hand. It's pretty self-explanatory. If you have a player who's scoring and is on a run, you want to continue to find them and put them into positions where they can be successful. Strategy number five is find the weakest blocker. This kind of ties into strategy number three, as mentioned before. Strategy number six, notice which side the middle blocker is weaker to transition to. And coaches might have to help there. And as I mentioned before, sometimes middles are faster. (coughs) Excuse me. Sometimes middles are faster transitioning to one side than the other. Sorry about that. So sometimes middles are, you know, faster going one side to another. So coaches can help out with this to see exactly which side the middle blocker is weaker, and that that's more that's useful information that you can use to help you uh, make you know more efficient sets. Strategy number seven: know your hitters. And the type of sets they like. All right, that's all. It's always great to know your hitters, and more importantly, you have to spend time trying to find this. So, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you have to go and practice, and setters, and middle, and hitters, middles, etc. We need to figure out what are what are the right balls, what are the more efficient balls, and what balls do they like to hit. And then strategy number eight: set distribution. Look, you need stats for this one. So look at your stats. See the distribution of sets, look at the attempts of your hitters and who are actually converting on those attempts and see for any red flags. So if you notice that a player has 10 attempts and 8 kills and a player has 15 attempts and 4 kills, then that, that's a sign that your setter should not, your setter's distribution is a bit off because they're, they're hitting a player who is not as efficient more times than the player who is efficient. And we want to make sure that that, uh, that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen. We want to be efficient. All right. I'll leave you with a couple other things, <clears throat> you know, some interesting things to know. So let's talk about assists per set. Uh, everyone always likes to say, well, what's a good number? How many assists should my setter be getting in a set? Well, high level, this is high level. Like this is like NCAA, Olympics, et cetera, high level. The best setters in the world on the women's side are getting 11 assists around 11 assists or higher. So 11, 11.2, 11.3, you know, 11 assists or higher, that's high, high level setting. We're talking top in the league. On the men's side, I would say 10, anything above a 10, there's a couple There's a couple guys who are, who are in the 11s and 12s and things like that. But on the men's side, anything higher than a 10, 10.2, 10.3, that's high level setting, okay? High level setting. So those are some numbers that you know you can aim to aim to achieve. If you have setters that are getting those those type of assists per set, you have a talent on your hand. That means they're making good decisions. Um, they're putting their hitters in a great position to score, and your and your hitters are actually following through with that. But it comes with those decision making and the, and the quality of the sets as well. All right. So that's pretty much the eight strategies that, that um will help will definitely help your setters improve. Now, if you want to learn more about you know how to 
work with your setters and you know for, we didn't talk too much about technical today too by the way like uh you know the technical stuff all the strategies the intricacies of setting and the and the position basically how to train the position from the ground up um dva members if you're listening to this i do have an entire course on setting inside dva and if you are not a dva member um, and you'd like to be I'm heading over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com uh, to get si- to get registered or to at least sign up for the waitlist. Um, and if you don't know what Digital Volleyball Academy is, it's my signature membership where I get to work with coaches all around the world and basically provide mentorship, invite them into my world, into my gym, so they get to see behind the scenes to what we do in our practices, in our games, in our film sessions, etc. And as I mentioned just now, um, you have access to all the courses that I've created, not just setting, but you know, left side position, right side position, passing, all the courses that I've created, you have access to all of them to, you know, help you as a coach, help better your team. Um, and we jump on coaching calls. You got to jump on coaching calls with me twice a month where I do live training and Q&A just to really get to connect with you and provide that mentorship and that coaching. So head on over to Digital Volleyball Academy if you are interested. And like I said, DVA members, you have access to a complete setting course and a bonus setting course as well inside DVA that you can watch right now and help with your help your setters get better uh, as soon as you finish watching it. So that's it for me. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I will see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look. Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.